Welcome to the Edinburgh Vineyard Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us, please visit edinburghvineyard.org. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. As I was uh, researching uh, for the topic uh, today, uh, I came across a great illustration um, by a vineyard pastor called Rich Nathan, and I loved the way that uh, the illustration and the way he used it just held the the, the topic of, of compassion. So I'm stealing that this morning, and I'm just giving him credit for actually having uh, put it into that kind of context. Um, and and the illustration really comes from uh, uh, the the poem by Dr. Zeus, which I have only discovered since I've had grandchildren. Um, but uh, how many of you know uh, Dr. Zeus' poems? Okay, the, the, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas? Okay. Uh, it's about a, a Grinch who hated Christmas so much that he decides uh, to ruin it for the whole town of uh, Whoville. And uh, he steals their presents and anything related to Christmas. And the poem goes like this. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be, perhaps, that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring the book of Exodus, and I was asked to uh, talk this morning about compassion, which is one of the words uh, that uh, God uses to describe himself in Exodus 34, which Kate um, uh, spoke on uh, last week. And in chapter 33, uh, Moses has basically asked to see God's glorious presence. And God's response was to pass in front of him, uh, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And when Kate read that out uh, last Sunday, uh, I I find it really interesting that God didn't give Moses a vision of power and majesty. You know, if God's going to walk in front of you, you're expecting something Amazing, right? And yet, it wasn't power and majesty, but rather a picture of love, which makes sense when you think about it, because God's glory is always found in his character. It's always found in his nature and in the way that he actually deals with people. Uh, and it reveals, it's revealed in his, his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his faithfulness, his forgiveness, and his justice. And the amazing thing is that we can actually respond to this incredible picture by making sure that our own characters resemble his. We can actually imitate God. That's what we're called to do. So today we're going to look at how we can imitate this big-hearted characteristic of God uh, ourselves. So let me start with just a few verses um, where we um, are really uh, listening to what Jesus says about the way that he engages with people who need him. He says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. 
I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now, all of us, all of us here, we're all imitators. All of us are looking to shape our lives around something or someone that we find appealing or good. We, we shape our lives uh, around a vision of what really captures our hearts. And so the, this morning, I want to suggest that there is someone who is more attractive and ca- that there's no one more attractive or captivating uh, than Jesus in helping us to really understand who God uh, is. He's the kindest person that any one of us will ever meet. He is the most faithful, he's the most truthful, generous, compassionate, forgiving, the most surprising, and the most authentic person in the history of the world. And yet we can imitate him. We can imitate him. And there are dozens of verses that speak about Jesus' compassion. So, you know, how would you define it? How do you define compassion? Well, the actual word compassion is used 96 times by some of the translations uh, that we can lay our hands on. And hundreds of times, if you, if you think of words like uh, mercy or uh, pity, uh, that mean exactly or nearly the same thing. The Bible actually uses some very emotive words to describe the compassion of God and Jesus. For example, in the first part of the Bible in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word, uh, rakam. And it means to be compassionate towards. But what's interesting, it's interesting how Fee was drawing the comparison between uh, the, the, the uh, French word for stone and the, the word for father. But in, in Hebrew, there's another word which is rahim, which means womb. And, and the idea, if you get the gist, is that God is saying that he feels compassion towards people in need in, this, in a, sim, uh, a similar way to the feelings that a mother has towards her small, helpless uh, baby uh, that she's carried in her womb. Something really tender and sensitive. In the second part of the Bible, uh, the most intense word that uh, I, certainly I could find is translated, that's translated compassion is the Greek word splanchana. I think that's how you pronounce it. Splan. And it refers to your innards. It's really talking about your guts. That's what it's talking about. So when you read of the story uh, of how Jesus felt compassion towards the leper, or Jesus had uh, pity on the blind man who was calling out for mercy, or Jesus saw the widow who was weeping over the death of her son, and he went to her in order to raise him from the dead. What you discover is that the thing that moved him every time was splanchana. It was compassion, and it really came from uh, his guts. Now, we wouldn't use that language today, would we? I don't think we'd go around saying, um, oh, that person was moved from their guts, do we? We don't. We say, you know, uh, that person really acted out of the kindness of their heart. It means the same thing. Why do we say that? Because the person who's been compassionate uh, has done something really caring. He's done something, or she has done something very generous, something selfless and big-hearted. And when it's used of God, the word compassion or mercy expresses the thought that the God who revealed himself in Jesus is incredibly personal, and he has this huge heart that he wants to express towards people in need. 
On one occasion, uh, a man came up to John Wimber, who was the founder of the vineyard. And uh, this, uh, I think he was a young guy, actually. He had been trying to get a hold of John Wimber uh, and had refused to talk with anybody else uh, on staff at the church. He just would not talk to any of the other leaders because he wanted to talk uh, to John. He just had to see the pastor. And when he finally got a hold of John, uh, he was incensed, and uh, John says in the story that his face was bright red as he told his story, and the story was this. Look, John, I, I found this guy in the park. Uh, he was thin, he was dirty, he didn't have any decent clothes, uh, he was sick, he was on drugs, and I wanted to help him, so I, I brought him here, meaning, you know, the church building. But the building was locked. No one was around. I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't get a hold of anyone uh, to meet his needs. So I ended up taking him home. I actually helped him have a shower. I gave him some of my clothes. He's been in my place for the last three days, and I've been trying to help him find a job, but he doesn't really know how to work. And by the way, he can't read or write. So this guy, you know, doesn't really know how to cope with life. So why isn't the church doing anything? And John actually looked at this young guy and he said, well, the church is doing something. The church actually picked this guy up in the park. The church actually took him home. The church fed him. The church clothed him. And the church looked after their needs. And the guy looked at John and said, what do you mean? And, and John said, well, that's the church. That's what we're talking about. And immediately, uh, with, with his eyes sort of clouded over with tears, he said, well, you know what? If that's the church... I don't like it. Why, why don't we like sharing God's big heart? Well, I think it's because, like the Grinch, our hearts are, on occasions, maybe, sometimes, two sizes too small. Yeah, everybody is, is happy to care for the poor at a distance. Uh, you know, but... When the poor turn out to be unstable and they want what we've got, then we kind of back off and we withdraw. If it were easier to minister to people with needs, then I think everybody would be doing it. But it's not. And so I think very, very few people actually are involved. And we need to catch God's heart. Otherwise, uh, we look at we, what we tend to do is we look at our busy schedules and we allow lots of different things to cry out God's higher priorities and we don't ultimately then have time for the downtrodden or for the disadvantaged. And when that happens, we miss the opportunity to begin acting on their behalf or securing justice on their behalf and being generous towards them in ways that they don't uh, expect. And, and that's why I think we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is in disguise amongst us all of the time. And he's looking for people who are willing to reach out to him. And I guess the question is, do we see him out there in our day-to-day -day, uh, living? Do we, uh, uh, are we willing to kind of help? You know, we need, I think, certainly for me it's true, we need to organize our lives around his heart. And we can, so just so that we can demonstrate how large the heart of God is for the city. But it's hard. It is hard, isn't it? I mean, I, I, do, I do consider myself to be a, a reasonably compassionate person. But in looking at the infinitely larger heart of God, I realize that I need to aim a bit higher. I just need to aim a bit higher. 
and my heart needs to grow. And I don't, it may be the same uh, for you. There are many times when I'm alone with my thoughts and I kind of hear my say, myself saying inwardly, oh, Lord, no, that's too much mercy. What are you doing? You can't do that. Not before you've met with me. Huh? And I feel really bad about that because whenever I choose not to be a conduit of God's mercy to another person, if that's what he's asking of me, I know at that point that my heart is not growing. If anything, it's shrunk. <laughs> so how can we grow our hearts? You know, and the, I think the, 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 the saving grace for the Grinch in the poem is that his heart actually ultimately grows three times in a day. So uh, it is, if that's possible for the Grinch, then I think it's possible for us, right? For our, our hearts to grow. And uh, I, I, I would like our hearts to grow in such a way that we do reflect the compassion. Uh, of, of Jesus. So let me quickly say this, that, that the putting God's love into action is about meeting the needs of others on the basis of God's resources. And if we're going to live a life of compassion without being uh, puffed up or ultimately being overcome by exhaustion, I, I believe the answer is to actually know who we are in Jesus, because he's the one who resources us to do the work that he's called us to do. And in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, what's interesting is that Paul doesn't say that we've been given a few or a lot of blessings. He actually says that we have been given every spiritual blessing every spiritual blessing, which means that each of us have all the resources of heaven that we need to meet any challenge and to fulfill any opportunity that God might give us. Now that's, oof, isn't it, when you start to think about that. But the moment that you said yes to Jesus, he effectively said, great, now that your future is secure, you can start doing the things that my father has prepared for you to do. And the real test, I believe, of spiritual maturity is the ability to serve him through good works. You know, we fulfill our purposes here on earth by learning to love and to serve the unlovely and the ones who have lost their way. And, and if we don't know who we are in Jesus, what we'll do is we'll try and do the stuff in our own strength. You know, we'll, we'll see the need and we'll want to respond, but we'll, we'll do it in our own strength and eventually we'll collapse under the weight of the pressure. But if we recognize that we've been blessed with the resources of heaven and that we're on the winning side, we will always have the love that we need to share with others and the power to change their lives. Because Jesus will be our resource and he'll be working through us. So how do we grow our hearts? Three things. Are we doing okay in time? Three things. How do we grow our hearts? I would say, number one, do what the Father does. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the, Father, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. He's actually wanting us to see what he's doing so that we can join him in his work. 
In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. And the church, I believe, is called to be committed to the poor. And we all need to find out what that looks like for ourselves on a daily uh, basis. You know, in all of our uh, roles or jobs or careers and our homes, we're, we're asked to be ready and available to be listening for his prompting, just to be aware of what God is saying, just as Paul and Elaine just listened and got that whisper and spoke to that young guy. Wow, how God moved in and the kingdom took over and changed that young guy's life, or that person's life. Amazing. And I know for some of us, that means that more direct employment with charities or whatever is the way that God has called us to go. And so we're involved. I'm involved in that with with Duncan at Edinburgh City Mission. Uh, For others, it's serving in our vocation where we see the need. And we go in and we go in with our eyes open and we're saying, Lord, where do you want me to serve today? What is it that you're wanting me to do uh, today? It may be at uh, the school gate. It might actually be sitting on the bus or on the supermarket. It may be doing something uh, through uh, our own church, some ministry or a project that we're setting up and and running. Whatever it is, um, God has called us to it. I mean, let's say, let's say you don't feel that God has called you to work amongst the disadvantaged, okay? It's not really your primary focus. God is, you sense, calling you to something uh, else. But that you are aware of your general responsibility to the disadvantaged and to anyone that you might see who would be in need. Well, how do you react when you see a need? Should you respond to uh, that need every time? Should you? My, my answer is no. I don't think you should. I, I believe there are many people who were needy in Jesus' day that Jesus never ministered to. He saw them in the towns that he visited, but he didn't stop to help. Why not? Because he only did what he saw the Father doing. And we need to learn to see the difference between the prompting of God and the pressing need. And most of us, I think, are really good at noticing when God is at work and when he isn't. So let me encourage you to cultivate a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. When you're facing a need, all you have to say is, Father, am I meant to stop? Am I meant to talk? Am I meant to you know, reach out and minister uh, to this person? Do you want me to help them? And sometimes I think uh, he'll tell you to do nothing. Sometimes he'll actually ask you to do more than you would like to do. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, my encouragement to you is to grow in the skill of listening and to listen out for what God is saying and be ready to do what he says. Secondly, I think it's really important that we are servants rather than lords. You know, Jesus didn't lord over people. He said it himself. He came to serve. And he's told us to do exactly the same. Again, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. In other words, it's only when we're serving that we're truly fulfilled. Yeah? It's only when we're serving 
that were truly fulfilled. I, I don't know if you've heard of uh, Jackie Pullinger. Um, yeah, a, a name that's recognized. I mean, she is some lady. Scary, scary lady. You, you, you definitely put an exclusion zone around yourself and her because if she gets too close, you know, so, <laughs> something will happen. Um, but she's the sort of person who can really kind of jolt you right out of your self-centeredness and plunge you into the reality uh, of service. And her ministry for many years, of course, has been to uh, uh, reach out to and look after and care for uh, the, the, the drug addicts and the prostitutes on the streets of uh, the Wall City in Hong Kong. And uh, every time she does it, she does it with love. And every time she does it, God blesses her work. And again, I remember John Wimber telling the story on one occasion that he was interested in sending some members of his church uh, in, in the States to Jackie's church in Hong Kong more or less every three months to get some training. And she said, well, you do realize uh, what uh, they're going to be committing themselves to if they come. And uh, John didn't have the slightest idea. So he said, well, no, I, I don't. You better tell me. She said, well, they're going to have to work 15 to 18 hours a day every day. Uh, there'll be no breaks. Uh, they, they won't be able to have time away from people. They, um, they'll be on duty all of the time. Uh, they'll also have to be ready to step in, to separate uh, you know, uh, a couple of the boys uh, who will often just produce knives because that happens sometimes and they'll have to be willing to step in and uh, put themselves between the boys and the knives. And unless your people can actually speak any of the three Chinese dialects that are common in our camp, truthfully, we're just looking for people who will come and scrub the floors, who will come and make the beds, who will come and cook the food and clean the toilets. My problem is, John, that very few people want to do that. But honestly, that's what we need. That's what we need. And I share that to say this, you know, if we're if we're chasing personal recognition somehow as a result of, you know, wanting to be uh, an imitator of God and to be this compassionate person uh, and, and we're chasing personal recognition, we'll never humble ourselves enough to see the menial tasks that need to be done and our hearts will shrink. But... If our goal is to serve, we'll jump at every opportunity, I believe, to bless other people, particularly those who can't them help themselves. And in those situations, I think our hearts will grow. So a good question, I think, to ask ourselves if we are considering living a compassionate lifestyle is simply this. In practice, am I a servant or am I a Lord? Am I a servant or am I a Lord? And then lastly, and thirdly, perhaps the most obvious one is, we just need to be willing volunteers. You know, we don't need to wait for the church to launch a new ministry uh, or a new project before we do anything. All we have to do is ask God to give us a burden for those who are powerless and weighed down by life and are lost. And we just need to find out what God is doing and then come alongside him and do it with him. He will give us the opportunities to minister. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And all he's asking for is our availability. And, and if you're willing, um, he will put you right uh, into the heart of the right environment and you'll come across the right people for you to connect with. And maybe the experience of reaching out to people will be one of the most significant la uh, landmarks of your life. Maybe it won't. 
But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because what's important is that what God asks you to do is something that he's behind. And you're responding to his heart and asking him uh, for his help. Some of the most rewarding um, occasions for me have come through scenarios that just didn't excite me at all. And I thought, really? I, I don't think this is such a good deal. But I was wrong, and God moved in, and it became a hugely rewarding experience. And so I would say, you know, it's important for us not to be afraid of what the Lord might ask us to do. It's important for us uh, to ask for his opportunities and his resources, and it's important for us to learn how to live uh, a, a generous life. I mean, just imagine if you started today how much could you do for others in a week or a year or even 10 years from now if you just simply said, Lord, show me and I'll respond. Show me and I'll respond. Let me finish with this. You don't need to answer back the rhetorical questions, really, but I think I know your answer. <laughs> we want our hearts to grow with compassion, don't we? I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> God wants his kingdom to grow amongst the poor, doesn't he? And we know that he's looking for volunteers, isn't he? Okay. So why don't we put our hands in the air and just say, Lord, you're a God of compassion, and it's my privilege to participate on your behalf in the lives of others. Give me a chance for my heart to grow, and I'll follow you. You've been listening to the Edinburgh Vineyard Podcast. For details of our service times and small groups, please visit edinburghvineyard.org.